Good morning. I'm glad to see your beautiful faces this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about what this day holds, what this day means for us as a church, what this day means for Ryan and Jamie. Um, and so let me tell you what I want to do today. Um, I want to start by showing you uh, the entire biblical narrative. I told Rick that and he laughed out loud. Um, I, I want to, as fast as I can, show you the biblical narrative of the idea that God is in the business of sending people. Okay, and so um, we're going to spend the majority of our time there, and then we'll, we'll end that part of the time by, I'm going to give you four practical implications uh, of what the biblical narrative of God's sendingness, what that means for, for us. And then um, we're going to lay hands on and commission Ryan and Jamie, who are headed to Boulder, Colorado, uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ. And so... Um, I don't know if you've ever been on a mission before. I know you have. Whether it was like you needed to accomplish something, you needed to find something, and you were determined to do it. So um, I was sharing this story with um, a couple guys the other night, and um, they gave me this title. Um, So many of you know I work uh, two days a week at Subway, and uh, it's owned by my parents, which might be part of the angst that I have. but so I'm sharing the story with some guys, and they, they named me the Soda Nazi. Okay, and so um, here's the way it works. Uh, the, the subway is inside a Walmart, and um, the store is set up where the counters like here, the soda machine is all the way across the lobby right next to Walmart. And so people love to try to come into Subway and steal soda. It happens almost, almost daily. Well, um, I've kind of taken it up as my personal mission, and now I've had some, some, some people really um, helping me in that uh, to, to cut, cut that back. And so um, it, the cart guys, the guys that push carts for Walmart, they know um, if Dave's working, like, you don't go and ask for a water cup and fill it up with soda because you can hear soda. You can't hear the water dispenser. There's no sound of the water dispenser. If you're getting soda, there's a distinct noise, and I'm training our employees to... To, to do this. Anyway, um, so this guy comes in, this older gentleman, and he's ordering food. And um, he can't hear very well. And so he's ordering his, his sandwich, and, and I'm literally shouting at him, trying to figure out how he wants his sandwich made. All the customers are watching me. Like, the other employees are, like, laughing. Um, and it comes to the point where you just make it. Like, I don't even think he cares what's on it, because um, I don't know if he's all there either. Anyway, um, and so I make his sandwich, and he orders a coffee with his sandwich. He goes and he sits down, and there's an, another um, lady that's with him, and they have their meal. And at this time, I'm going on break. So I, I make my sandwich, and I go out from behind the counter, and I go to the soda machine to fill up my, um, my cup. And uh, there I notice this gentleman who had bought a coffee, got coffee, finished his coffee, and was now proceeding to get soda in his coffee cup. And so uh, I didn't even think. I just, I just started talking. And I said, um, excuse me, sir. Uh, I know you purchased a coffee, um, and, and I'm not really a big confrontational person, but for some reason, like, this just really gets me going, and I just kind of love doing it. Um, and, um, and so I said, excuse me, sir. You ordered a coffee, and now you're filling it up with soda. 
And immediately after I said those words, the next thought in my mind was my processing of who this guy was and what it takes to try to order, for him to order a sandwich. And I realized, why did I bring this up with him? And he, and, and he, he, he looks at me, and he looks at the soda machine, and he looks back at me, and he goes, Huh? And we proceeded to kind of do it out, and the, the lady comes over, and she's like, is there a problem? And, and they try to convince me as to why they're not really stealing, and they come in all the time. And, and so um, it's kind of become my personal mission, and, and, and even more so, more so now. Um, but I want, I want to show you a kind of awkward transition here. I want to show you a quote from a book that I'm reading um, called And. It's, it's how to balance what it means to be the gathered church of God, and what it means to be the scattered church of God. And, and this book is really arguing for how to do them both well. And, and this is the quote in this book. It says this, People are tired of being the unsent church. Weary of church services, sermons, in-house programs, and Bible studies that never push them out and challenge them to really be the missional people God has called them to be. And so uh, there's, there's so much truth to that. Even in this, in, in this latter movement of the, this missional movement to, to get out into the community and make a difference for the kingdom of God. There, there's a, this realization that to be a consumer really isn't the thing to do anymore. And that's what they're arguing for. Now, here we go. Um, let's talk about the Bible's grand narrative. The idea that God is ascending God. And, and, and I apologize if I fly here. Um, uh, it just might happen. So um, hang with me. You know how the story begins. God creates the world. He creates the universe. And in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, here's what he said. Talking to the Godhead, he said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, from the get-go, God sends out Adam and Eve. He creates them, and he sends them out to cultivate life on the earth. Now, very quickly, things go bad with that. Sin comes into the world. The, the, the brokenness of sin is ever-present. And seven chapters into Scripture, God says this unbelievable statement where he says, I've regretted that I've made man. He goes to Noah. He grabs Noah, and he says, I'm going to save my name through you. I'm going to carry the remnant of my name through you. And you, you need to go and build a boat. It took some hundred years to build this boat. And he tells him in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, Go into the ark. You and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And then not long after that, you know, the earth is destroyed with the flood. We know that story. And then God tells them, go out from the ark and cultivate life. He sends them out. Genesis chapter 12, we're familiar with the story of Abram, where God tells Abram, I'm going to send you out to the land of Canaan. And he says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred. So here's what he's saying. He's like, I want you to leave all that's familiar. This place, Ryan and Jamie, become pretty familiar, pr pretty home. 
um, he's like, I-, I want you to leave all that's familiar, and you're going to go somewhere where you don't even know where you're going. You're just going to go, and I'm going to tell you as you go what that looks like. He said, I'm going to make a, you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, a- Abraham's send-off is beautiful. The sending off of Ryan and Jamie this morning, I just know it. it's going to be beautiful. We're going to gather them in here. We're going to lay hands on them. We're going to pray over them. But like, have you ever been to a, a, a wedding? Um, I'm sure you have. It rarely ever do they really, are they really not just amazing. And um, sometimes they just get tough. Marriage gets tough. Um, and, and in this same situation, a beautiful sending off of Abraham. And then it begins to be really tough. Things begin to not go so well for Abraham's missional community. They thrust into chaos again. Sin begins to reign, and they end up living as slaves in Egypt. Are you you familiar with this? Hopefully you're just tracking through this with me. They end up living as slaves in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12, God sends, God gives them away, his people, and he releases them from slavery to the Egyptians through who? Moses. And it's a pretty marvelous story where God wipes out the Egyptians through the Red Sea. And although there's much rebellion through the missional community of Israel, God continues to work through those people and through the leaders in the midst of their sin. Deuteronomy chapter 31, what happens? God raises up Joshua to replace Moses. Joshua becomes the new leader. He brings the people across the Jordan into the promised land. And then what does he do? He sends two spies into the land. And in the midst of this, the Canaanites realize these two spies. They eventually find out where these two spies are. And so these spies, they go and they get in the home of the prostitute Rahab. They hide out in the home of the prostitute Rahab. They find out that the Canaanite army realized that they have they're in this home, and so Rahab does what? She takes them up to the roof. She hides them in the, in the rafters of the roof. And the, the, the soldiers come to her house, and she sends them out on a wild goose chase looking for the people that are in her very home. And then in the midst of all this, you can read the story in Joshua chapter 2. Rahab is just undone by God's work in and through these spies. It ends up that they, the spies escape from her house. They make a promise before they do it that, that when they take over the land of Canaan, they're going to save her and her family. And they tell her to leave the scarlet rope that they, let her, they were let down out the window, to leave that out, very symbolic of the blood that's painted over the door from the, from the tenth plague, to, to show that When they take over the land, they're going to save Rahab and her family. And so, just that quickly, the blessing of God channels into the family of a prostitute. And Rahab's grafted into the missional community of God's people. And here's the amazing thing. She is eventually held up among the Jewish community in the New Testament for her faith in Hebrews 11. And in James chapter 2, she's celebrated for combining her faith with her works. And God's, God's story's mission continues throughout the Old Testament and being 
intentional at reaching across the cultural lines. Sometimes we think that, that, that God is biased with people, um, and we learn from stories like this that he has the nations, even pagan nations at heart, even the difficulty of a boulder, Colorado, is on his radar to bring redemption. And so um, we can note several others. Uh, Samuel in First Samuel chapter 3. You, you know the story where Samuel's like has this incident with his master, is it Eli, I think? Um, and he's like, here's a voice, and he goes to his master, and he's like, are you calling me? And like this, you know, no, I'm not calling you, go back to bed, and this happens like three times, and then he, he's like, you know, finally realizes God's calling me, God's speaking to me, and, and God says, I'm about to do something in and through Israel, in and in and through you, that's going to make people's ears tingle when they hear it. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we know the story where David is called out from the shepherd fields. And in the midst of being called out from the shepherd fields, all of his brothers, Jesse's sons, they're like, Saul's reign went bad. I'm the guy. All of his brothers are like, David? Of course it's not David. They even have David on the radar. But then when they say, go and get, when Samuel says, go and get David, he's the guy. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12, at the end of that, it in verse 13, it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And we know David did mighty things for God. He also made some heinous mistakes. Heinous mistakes. But God did unbelievable things through David. And then from that, his son Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 1, we see where God raises up. He says to David, I'm going to give the throne to your son Solomon. And that begins to go well for a while. And then it ends up taking a, an ugly turn. And then from here, God begins to channel things through prophets. In, into the, the, the major prophets and in the minor prophets in Scripture. And a prophet really speaks for God and really they're speaking of the coming redemption. Do, do you know what the, the Old Testament is? It's one big arrow pointing to the reality of who Jesus is. And this is what the prophets would do. We know this from, the, from Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah was sent. It hadn't rained on the earth for three years. And God tells Elijah, I'm going to send you out and you're going to go to Ahab and you're going to bring rain on the earth. And in the midst of that, what happens? Elijah goes and confronts the prophets of Baal. And they have this fire battle. They're just pyros at heart. Um, it's a pretty cool story. Um, you should look at it, 1 Kings 18. Um, and then a chapter later, God says, I'm going to give my rain to Elisha. And God empowers Elisha. Ezra chapter 7, we see God raising up Ezra in his move to um, carry forth his name. Ezra went to Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that asked, that he asked, for the hand of the Lord was, his God was on him, sending him out to carry redemption to the world. Nehemiah, you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah. He rebuilds the wall um, in Jerusalem. Esther, the queen of Persia, raises up, um, is raised up to, to help save God's covenant people. Isaiah, we could say a ton about the prophet Isaiah. Jeremiah, it says this in Jeremiah chapter 1, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Not long later, God raises up Ezekiel, and he says this to Ezekiel. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to him, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Here's what I love about this. Do you see how it's worded here? It says, get off your butt and do something for my name. And and so much so that he says, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I've just been praying that God would do that this morning. That in this place, that, that the Spirit would enter us and God would set us on our feet to do his work. In context which God has placed you. We know the story of Hosea. God calls Hosea to go and marry a whore. And he says, in and through that, I'm going to show Israel how they adulterate their relationship with me, yet my covenant unfailing love will still remain. And Hosea does it. Like, seriously? I want you to go marry that prostitute. Okay. He did it. And then the story of Jonah. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for all their evil has come before me. And so what does Jonah do? He's like, okay, no. I'm going to go this way. You want me to go this way? I'm going to go this way. And through much turmoil and great things that happen in Jonah's life, God eventually gets his attention. It says, I'm serious about you joining my cause on the earth. And it took the deep, dark pit, belly of a whale, and him to be spit out before he's like, finally was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Um, and we could continue through the Old Testament and the prophets, but the story of the Old Testament fades, and, and here's what happens. For three to four hundred years, there's silence. So God's mission, God's movement throughout all of the Old Testament and through God's missional people, all of a sudden, there's nothing. And they begin to wonder what's going on and their purpose. They begin to possibly question the work of God. And in the midst of that, they continue doing what God's called them to do. They continue to do their tradition, their religious traditions. They continue to make sacrifices that point to the one that's to come, that was spoken of, of the one that's to come, Jesus. And then, suddenly, the story picks up again. The story begins to pick up through a barren Jewish woman named Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah. And in their old age, God appears to them in an angel, through an angel, and says, you're going to bear a son. And his name is going to be John the Baptist. And so God's miraculous mission continues, and what happens is the angel literally told Zechariah, your son is going to do marvelous things for my name, for the name of God. 
and he's going to turn many of the children of Israel back to me. And Zechariah, what happened? He was literally speechless. He couldn't talk. And then in Luke chapter 1, Mary, like Elizabeth, was living a mundane life when an angel came to her and changed her world. And Luke chapter 1 depicts it like this, and she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, I will conceive, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, here's what's amazing. You can go to Luke chapter 1 and see this for yourself, but in verses Around verse 42, Mary and Zechariah, in their celebration to God for what God has said will take place, here's what happens. They both point back to the promise that was given to Abraham so many years ago. That God will bring blessing and through the line of Abraham will come the redemption that will restore what's been broken in the world through sin. And God's plan to, re- to bless and to redeem was what was thought to be this abandoned reality, this forgotten thing, and now it's touching down in villages and neighborhoods and homes all across the world. So God's plan of redemption, it picks up steam through John the Baptist where he prepares the way for Jesus to come, and then Jesus is born reveals God's will in the world. And this is what he said. He said, God's reign is what it's all about. And God's reign, I'm going to call it the kingdom. And the kingdom is now. So what does God do? He gets some guys around him to, to channel forward the movement of his father in John chapter 4, he goes to this well and he, he, he interacts with this Samaritan woman, this outcast, that much like the, the outcast of Rahab, that never thought they could have a chance with God. God grafts them in into the community of his people. Into the community of faith. Jesus visits wedding parties. He hangs out with tax collectors. He ministers to a centurion's family. He plays with children. He spends time on the mountainside in caves and cities where people listen to his teaching. He's carrying forth the reality of the glory of his Father and that he's been sent to die on a cross and that any that will believe in him will be set free from sin. And then he commissions his guys And in John chapter 20, he does the same thing his father did for him. Verse 21, as the father sent me, I am sending you. Go. And he sends them out. And it's as if he said, the father sent me to give my life away. I'm sending you to give your life away. And then what happens? In Matthew chapter 16, you're familiar with the story of Peter? God carries forth his movement. He says to Peter, I tell you this, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So now the sent community of God has now been named the church and it will carry forth his original design and plan. Jesus dies, is resurrected, and then what happens? He says in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He ascends to heaven, and then what does he do? He sends his Spirit. And his Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 to indwell believers, to indwell the church, and be God's missional hand in and through the people that he calls and sends out to do his work in their context. Much could be said about the Apostle Paul, who's raised up to become apostle, and we'll look at a passage a little bit later about him, who wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. And I want you to listen to this, and um, go, go back to Peter real quick. Listen to Peter talking about the mission of the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up to a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But, skip to verse 9, you are a chosen race. He's like, I've, call, I've called you out. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So you don't belong to you. You don't belong to Campus Crusade for Christ. You belong to God. And he says, I've called you to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So he's, he's rescued you. He's rescued me. He's saved you from the dominion of darkness. He's transferred you to the kingdom of light. Why? So that you could have a happy road to heaven? No. So that you might join his mission in the world. And then verse 10, I just love it. He says, once you were not a people... Like you had nothing going on for you. No class, nothing to be admired. You were a nobody. And God just wants to say that to us this morning. The thing that we try to do on our own, our own agendas, our own mission, it's worthless. But now you are God's people. Amazing. Once you had not received mercy, now you have. And you've experienced it in such an incredible way that it needs to make a difference, not just in your life, but in the lives of every single person you come into contact with. That's the mission that God's calling us to. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There is going to be a day of visitation. And the New Testament continues on to speak of the church age and what we're really supposed to be about. And it comes to a culmination in Revelation 
where it speaks of the return of the Lord and the end of the age. And that's the biblical narrative of God being ascending God. So what? That's awesome. Great job, Dave. You just did that in way too long, and uh, I'm ready to go. So um, who really cares? Uh, Here's what you need to know. Four practical implications. Number one, broken and redeemed people are his method. Like, I cannot get my mind around this. Like, when you read the Bible, and you see that a great portion of the Bible was written by murderers, like, I'm like, really? David was a man after God's own heart, yet his sin was so heinous. Makes me look so good because broken and redeemed people are my method. And we could go to all of these people that we just looked at and we could see, we could argue so many ways why every single one of them is, should be disqualified from use by God. Could we not? And I'm sure we could have Ryan and Jamie come up here and talk about their brokenness, and talk about their redemption, and talk about all the reasons why they're probably really not that qualified to go and reach one of the most unchurched regions in the United States. Apart from the reality, that's God's mission. That's God's means. Broken, redeemed people. And so many of us want want to think, well, I'm not cut out for that, so I'm just going to go into business. I'm not cut out for that, so I'm just going to go into to politics, or I'm just going to be, become a teacher. And we think like that's like, uh, you know, those that, those that fail out of seminary go into those things. But no, like that's the context for the mission. We need Christian business owners. Not a bunch of pastors that just hang out in the church. But God's people in the context which God, with God, what God's called you, doing the things with the passion that God's put within you. It's not contrary to his will. The things that amp you up, it's all a part of his will. It's all a part of his plan. I won't even get into why I lack pastoral credentials, but if we wanted to go there, we could, but we know that broken and redeemed people are his method. And they're the means by which he wants to bring his plan. Number two, there's no greater sending agency than the kingdom of heaven. Man, Ryan and Jamie are going to leave St. Louis under the banner of, man, we've been sent out by North Church. And this day, I pray, would be a day that you guys come back to a lot as to, man, what God, all that you've done, all, like, how, a year, however long this process has been, you've been with Campus Crusade for several years now, and here it finally comes to a culmination where you're actually going. No more talk about what we're hoping to do. Like you're actually, you actually get to do it. And I know there's so much excitement in your heart about that. But here's the deal. They're sent by God. They're not sent by us. They're not sent by Campus Crusade. They're sent by God. And why is that such a great thing? Number one, because of God's covenant relationship on your life. Like they've been redeemed. They once had not received mercy. Now they've received mercy. And they're going with the idea that they're gods. But not only that, they're going with the idea 
that they're a representative of him. They're representing him in what they're doing because they're sent out by him. It's his mission. Number three, get in the game. Some of you, man, you just love the bench. And as an athlete, I just don't get that. Like, I hated the bench. And I wanted to talk to my coach, why am I not getting game time? The bench stinks. Literally, all these freshmen that don't know how to shower. Why is it that we love the sidelines? Why is it that we love to see? Okay, I just showed you the biblical narrative of God's mission, of what God is doing, and God's calling us to be a part of that. And so we can call ourselves Christians. But if we're really not about the mission of God, then we're really not about God and what he's trying to do in life and in the world. That's what he's about. It's his mission. And he's saying, I want you to lay aside your story and how great you think you can make it. Because it's going to be stupid. And I want you to join my story and what I'm doing in the world in bringing the lost to me and raising up people that actually walk with Jesus. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his final moments of life, he's standing before King Agrippa and he's recounting his conversion experience. And it says that he says this, Jesus was talking to him, but rise and stand upon your feet. Very similar to the words that God used with Ezekiel. For I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. To those I am sending you. He's like, get in the game, I'm sending you and you're gonna open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There are people all over the map that their eyes are shut to God. There are people all over Boulder, Colorado, that their eyes are shut to God, but God's been stirring in their hearts up until this moment, and he's sending these two to Boulder, Colorado, and he's going to use you to open their eyes to get amped up about what you guys are amped up about. Because that's the passion that he's put within you. And some of you, you're so excited for these two. But are you in the game? Like they love that you support them. They love that you love them. But but, but are, are you in it? Are you just watching, talking about it? Uh, Number four, God is more interested in your mission than you are. If you've ever been a leader, a parent, a coach, a teacher, and you've ever gotten frustrated that those that you're leading just don't get really the picture of what you're trying to do, and they just don't quite meet up to what you're trying to do. I remember as a coach, I just was like, man, if these guys would just get defense and just play defense, like we would change the world. They never really got defense like I wanted them to get defense. 
It was really frustrating, but we can talk about that later. Here, here's the deal. Where do you live? What do you do? What did you do this week? What are you doing today? What are you doing tomorrow? Are you spending time with neighbors? Are you spending time with family? Are you spending time with coworkers? Like, what gets you excited? What's your, what's your mission? Is it Boulder, Colorado? Is it North County? Is it the University of Colorado? Is it Maryland Heights? Listen, the drive and passion that you have for what God's put within you does not even compare with God's passion for that. So you guys are so excited about going to Boulder. Like your excitement is pitiful compared to how excited God is that you're going. It's pitiful. And so, quit trying to send yourself. Quit trying to be an independent missionary doing your own side work, contract work for the kingdom. No. Join him and his plan and his move and be sent by the king. And and get this, the resources of heaven are your disposal. Which means the most unreached, hard-to-reach people on the planet that could give a lick about Jesus. And you don't even have a single chance at even probably befriending them. Maybe Jamie does, but um, the kingdom of heaven is pouring down God's missional plan for the earth. And we get to be a part of it. 